In the TIPBS podcast, you get great ideas and practical advice for educators. You can get more invaluable insights and free resources by subscribing to the TIPBS monthly newsletter. Visit www.tipbs.com and register your email address. In this episode, we interview Dr. Judith Cohen. Dr. Cohen is a board-certified child and adolescent psychiatrist. With her colleagues, Anthony Manorino and Esther Dieblinger, she has developed and tested trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, an evidence-based treatment for sexually abused and multiply traumatized children and their non-offending parents. Over the years, Cohen and Manorino have received funding for their research from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, the National Institute of Mental Health, and the National Child Traumatic Stress Network. Cohen has received numerous awards for her work with children. She currently sits on the board of the International Society for Traumatic Stress Studies and has authored many reports and articles outlining the procedures for treating children with post-traumatic stress. Dr. Cohen is interviewed by my colleague and clinical psychologist, Dr. Gavin Krishnamurthy. This is part one of two of our interview with her. For those listening who might be new to the idea of trauma in children, um, how could you explain what trauma is and how it affects children compared to adults? Um, I was also curious to hear your thoughts about how single incident trauma affects children differently to when they uh, experience multiple incidences. Sure. Um, So trauma is um, actually quite common among children. And and we think of a traumatic experience as something that threatens uh, children's actual life or somebody else's life, their safety, or their body integrity. So examples would be child uh, abuse or neglect. uh, Community violence, domestic violence, school violence, such as bullying, which Uh, obviously occurs in schools, um, or um, uh, car accidents, road accidents, um, uh, natural disasters, or the death of uh, somebody who is very close to a child. Those are just examples of other kinds of traumas. Uh Now, those affect more than two-thirds of all children have at least one traumatic experience in their during their childhood or adolescence, and a third of all children have multiple trauma experiences. Not all children develop trauma responses, and there are a lot of factors that affect whether a child will develop a traumatic response similar to um, adults who are, for example, in a war. Um, Not all of them develop post-traumatic stress disorder. So what are traumatic responses? That was the second part of your question. Um, Similar to adults, children develop post-traumatic stress disorder, although they manifest them a little differently. So those symptoms include things like um, intrusive memories, um, nightmares. Um, So when they're in school, for example, children might be distracted from learning because they're thinking about what happened to them. Um, They're having uh, scary thoughts about what happened. Um, But um, children may be actually reenacting the kinds of um, 
things that happened to them during their trauma experiences. So for example, if they experienced violence, they may react to the smallest provocation by acting in a violent um, or aggressive behavior. Some children may, um, who experience sexual abuse, for example, may reenact sexually inappropriate behaviors because that's how their body and their psychology learned to respond through modeling. So reenacting those kinds of traumatic responses. Um, and also children are very avoidant. That's another re trauma response um, because those memories um, are very painful and distressing. They try to push them away. So that makes it very difficult for us um, as professionals to try to evaluate what's going on and try to make sense when you directly ask children um, about their experiences. Sometimes they'll say, no, nothing happened because it's so difficult for them to talk about or think about it or remember it. Yeah. Um, and that makes it complicated to try to figure it out. Yeah. Um, they have trauma-related distressing um, uh, emotional responses such as fear, anxiety, sadness, but they also have sometimes anger. Yeah. Um, and so we can see kids with behavioral responses related to that anger. Yeah. And they have negative thoughts yeah. about what happened. So it makes it hard for them to feel safe and also hard for them to trust other people. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit about how that can affect their learning. Yeah. And finally, they have often have um, physical arousal responses, yeah. um, such as difficulty sleeping. They can be very jumpy. Yeah. Um, they can um, have difficulty concentrating and paying attention, which obviously can affect how they can learn in school. Yeah. Um, they're very vigilant. They don't feel safe, so they're always feeling like uh, something bad can happen to them again yeah. um, or uh, that they, they cannot feel safe in their environment or somebody's going to hurt them again. Yeah. So their bodies and their minds do not feel safe. Mm -hmm. So the question of um, how are, you know, single uh, traumas different from multiple traumas, um, it's important to understand that um, these responses occur not only in isolation, but also in response to trauma reminders. So things in the child's environment can remind them of what happened during their initial um, trauma experiences. So, for example, if a child was um, sexually abused by their stepfather, um, a reminder might be somebody who looks like their stepfather or it could be any male. Mm -hmm. So a child, a little girl who's going to school in, you know, in uh, a regular school, there are a lot of little boys in, in class. Um, or if the stepfather yelled at her, um, was very harsh. Mm -hmm. um, little boys who were, you know, yelling and playing, that could be a reminder. Or if the, the teacher says, quiet down, class, yeah. in a kind of harsh voice, that itself could be a reminder. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of things in the school environment that could remind such a child yeah. of her trauma experiences. And if she has um, anger or behavioral responses, uh, that could cause the child to act in a way that if the teacher has no idea of what's going on with the child, that the child had a trauma, is experiencing trauma reminders in the school setting, mm -hmm. that child, if she's going to act in a, an aggressive mm -hmm. or angry way, mm -hmm. that teacher having no idea of what's going on could just see the child as having behavior problems or anger management problems. Mm -hmm. And then if the, the teacher corrects that child in a harsh way and says, stop behaving that way or sit down right now, that's going to further um, trigger that child to have even more trauma responses.
Mm. Now, um, when you talk about children who have multiple trauma experiences, such as things like bullying or child abuse or domestic violence, tend to not just happen one time, but happen many times over over a period of time. Um, the adverse childhood experience or ACE study um, found that as as the number of traumas increase, the number of different uh, types of trauma increase. Um, Statistically speaking, now individual children can be either highly resilient or highly vulnerable, but in general, as the number of traumas increase, the child's risk for having more severe and a, a number of different mental health and medical problems increases um, substantially. So if you have a child who's experienced multiple traumas, the risk of them having many severe and more severe medical and um, mental health problems increases um, significantly. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I mean, you make so many great points in that answer, I think. Can I just ask you about a couple of things? I think something we get asked about a lot is um, the piece about a reenactment. Um, and we get a lot of teachers who are quite worried about re-traumatizing children and really curious about how to do that differently. I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit in terms of how reenactment might play out with kind of how kids interact with adults and what we can do to kind of protect them from that? Well, I think it's important for teachers to be trauma-informed, mm -hmm. to understand that um, it's very likely that you're going to encounter children in the school setting who have experienced trauma. And, um, you know, of course, as educators, it's not your job to evaluate whether a child who's having behavior problems, um, whether that's because the child has experienced trauma or because of another problem. Mm -hmm. That's really the mental health professional's job. Mm -hmm. But really, in a school setting, what the educator's role is, is to be trauma-informed, mm -hmm. to understand that there's a high likelihood that, that many of these children who have behavior problems probably do have a history of trauma, mm -hmm. and that to not, not to make the assumption that bad behavior equals a bad child, mm -hmm. but to uh, believe that it's probably more likely that a child who has behavior problems has had a bad experience, has had bad things happen to them. So look at every child as having a possibility that, you know, instead of just being a bad child, uh, it's more likely that there have been some bad things that have happened to that child. So look at every child with compassion, with understanding, um, and start from the place of thinking, maybe this isn't just a bad child. Yeah. Maybe there's a explanation try to be understanding and supportive yeah. and um, ask for an evaluation ask for a mental health professional to try to um, help you understand what's behind that behavior and then to come up with a plan of how can we best manage that yeah. instead of jumping to the conclusion that it's just a bad child yeah. and I think that's what educators can do and, and understand the negative impact of trauma that could um, be contributing to some of this negative behavior that's really great. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you've spoken already about some of the impacts trauma has on learning for children um, in the classroom, be it with their anger or be it with kind of reminders. Uh, was there other thoughts you had about how trauma interferes with learning or functioning in the classroom, Judith? I would just emphasize that if you don't feel safe, um, anybody who's taken an introductory psychology course, and I'm not sure... Um, you know, some of 
you teachers have taken introductory psychology, I'd remind you of something called Maslow's hierarchy, which talks about um, you know the most important things for any living creature, but certainly for humans, the very first thing that you spend your resources on, your energy, your attention, uh, your time, is safety, is just assuring that you're going to live today. And children who have experienced especially very severe repeated trauma, they don't feel safe. They, and they have good reason to not feel safe because often the very people who should have kept them safe, whether that was their parents or other caregivers or the authorities, have let them down in that way. And sometimes those were the very people who hurt them. So um, while they should and we hope they can feel safe in the school setting, Tragically, sometimes even some children are abused in schools. And we can't assume that any child, every child who comes to us has always even been safe in schools. So it's possible that they have been bullied or even abused in the school setting. So instead of assuming that uh, uh, you know, they are going to trust us in schools as educators, it's really important for us to understand that many children who have experienced trauma can't attend to their learning because they are busy looking around in their environment, being very vigilant, thinking about, am I safe here? How can I keep myself safe? Who's going to hurt me here? Mm. And if we can put ourselves in their place and understand that, we can understand how hard it is for them to pay attention, to remember, to learn, to concentrate. And that's the very first thing is to be patient and understand that that's what, where their energy is. That's where their resources are going to just trying to preserve their safety and feel like they're okay. And it's going to take us a little while to gain their trust and to feel safe. And when there are fights or loud voices or things going on or unpredictability in the classroom, that's going to interfere these kids learning much more than other children's learning. I think it's very, very helpful um, if teachers can create a sense of predictability and um, a very clear routine in the classroom um, and predictability about how the routine is going to go every day and understanding within that that many children are not used to predictability and routine and, um, and understanding that some children will test that because they're not used to it, because they don't feel safe that you're going to stick to it um but by patiently and persistently sticking to that routine helping children gently reassuring them and helping them come back to that routine no matter how they try to push you to deviate from it yeah. in a calm and peaceful way helping them understand that this is what we're going to do so you tell children what you're going to do and then you do it you become an island of safety in the children's world that is unpredictable and chaotic and does not feel safe. You are the one, you one place that is safe for these children. And if they start to talk to you, um, remaining calm and predictable and safe is something that will really go a long way to gaining these children's trust. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's put to the test when you have children who are acting out, particularly in class, and um, who are, uh, you know, feeling angry and wanting some control in those situations. Uh, and 
what, what would be your thoughts about that, about that piece about, you know, being able to stay calm in those moments and, and, you know, being wise, I suppose, in your response yeah. to these children? Yeah. Well, just as a parent, it's hard to be mm. calm when kids are nasty. That's right. Um, it's hard enough with three or four children of your own. It, you know, it, I have great admiration for teachers who have 20 or more children in their class um, and are being tested and you're trying to get through, a, a, you know, an educational plan. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, so your goal, your job is not necessarily to worry about their behavior. It's to mm. educate them. Mm. Yet you can't educate them. Again, we're talking about, you know, you have to maintain safety and order and before you can get through to their minds, you have to make sure everybody's safe. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think it is really important to maintain that calm, that safety, that sense of security for everybody. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, my opinion is that providing some basic resiliency skills um, does help all children mm -hmm. to learn better. Mm -hmm. um, and does help maintain that sense of safety and security for everyone in the class so they can all absorb the lessons and the learning that you're trying to impart mm -hmm. and help them to gain. Mm -hmm. um, and for those children who might be in psychotherapy or getting mental health um, interventions, that can certainly help to reinforce and support, further support the treatment that they're getting outside of class. Yeah. But... Um, you know, for those kids who aren't, it's also going to help build their resiliency because we can't predict what life is going to bring for any children, and it will help them to learn better. It's taking a little bit of time in classroom to build everybody's strength, um, emotional strength will help everybody to learn. So I certainly um, encourage building some general resiliency skills in the classroom. Yeah, and that uh, links to something you said earlier, I think, is that not everyone who's exposed to frightening events necessarily develop trauma, that, that you know, there is something protective that, that, that's there for some children. I, I wonder if you could talk about that, because there's a lot of interest in that, about resilience and that sort of thing, and a lot of misunderstanding as well. So I wondered your, about your thoughts about that. Well, we don't know a lot. I mean, we know some things, but we certainly need to learn more about what contributes to resiliency. Uh, we know some of those factors are inherent to the child. They're genetic. They're temperamental. Um, some of them are familial, which are connected to temperament and genetics. Yeah. Um, but uh, we know that support you know, either from the family or from other important people has a great deal to do with how children do after they've experienced a trauma. And some of that support can come from important people like teachers or friends or peers. So um, if there's one person who can be sufficiently supportive to the child, that can be very preventive of the child um, from developing significant trauma responses. Um, not to put that burden on the teacher, mm -hmm. but we know that you know support um, from a parent or other important person can be very um, protective. Mm -hmm. um, so another thing that seems to be protective is the child's cognitive style, how mm -hmm. the child thinks about things. Mm -hmm. That is certainly a resilient skill that can be learned, mm -hmm. um, including in school. Mm -hmm. um, so how 
think about things really has a very large effect on how you feel about things, how your body responds to things, and that will in turn affect whether you develop some of these traumatic responses that we talked about earlier. Mm. So thinking how you think about things is a skill that you can learn and we can talk you can talk about in class as well as in other settings. Mm. That was Dr. Judith Cohen, board certified child and adolescent psychiatrist and creator of the trauma focused cognitive behavioral therapy program. To hear part two of the interview and to access the resources mentioned in the interview, please visit www.tipbs.com and register your email address. Thank you for listening. See you next time.